On the Bidgey, cross the Mallee, in the Pilbara, round the valley, they're waking up with Macca. Good morning, Macca. Kevin, just driving from the Blue Mountains down to the Snowy Mountains. Going to go backcountry skiing for a few days, cross-country skiing. So we'll park the car at Guppy Gap Power Station and then head up to the valley. Today we'll probably get to Mawson's Hut. Wow. Ski tour around the Mount Jagungle area. Mount Jagungle, of course. You've obviously been down there before, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, a few times. I love it. It's really good for the soul being out there. And I, I even like to drive down. I'm just looking out to the east. I'm near, um, on the Monaro Highway near Michelago. Just first lights coming up over to the east. Yeah, the colours are beautiful. G'day, Mako. It's Marty from Kalgoorlie. How are you? I yeah. just called up on about 150 kilometres east from the Trans Access Road and taking some fresh water out to an exploration camp about 400 kilometres out. Wow. What, on a big tanker or something, Marty? No, just 12,000 there, a little six-wheel tipper. It's too big to put a semi in there. About a 14-hour round trip. Turn it off at Kitchener, which is about 260 kilometres out. Chasing the wet. I've got to get out here before the rain, so I've just got to try and beat the weather. Don't want to get stuck out here. The sun is just coming up over the horizon now. That's beautiful. Uh. Middle of nowhere. A lot of tracks. A lot of people go for a drive for a couple of days. It's sort of sandy, plainy country, but it's, it's different if you haven't never been out here. On a Sunday morning. Now Sunday's often market day. The van is packed. They're on the way. And while we're travelling, of course, we turn to Macca. We could be surfing the internet, but we think this is better yet. As we surf Australia with Macca every Sunday morning. I wait all week for Macca on a Sunday morning. You need a good map here on Sunday morning. Mount Jagungle and uh, Kitchener, all those sort of places that... uh, And we... Blissfully unaware, I think, of most of our geography in Australia, indeed the world, but certainly in our own country. But um, it's nice. It's just nice to know about places where that other Australians know all about and they tell us all about it. Good morning. 1300 700 222. That's our number this morning. We've been tying ourselves in knots. Well, I have uh, this morning, but uh, for the last couple of days, I've been up at Moonby and uh, Tamworth where the knot tyres are. Amazing. They're amazing. It's all about maths. You know, you wouldn't think that. And... One bloke I spoke to this morning uh, tells us that he's uh, working out how to tie knots around in, to go around corners, to go around corners with cubes and all that sort of stuff. Come and meet Barry and Doreen Smith, amazing people, just and find out the things that Barry and Doreen, especially Barry, have been doing. Your name is? Barry Smith from how, Geelong. How are you, Barry? I'm oh, good, thanks, Mark. Uh, and you're here with the International Guild of Knot Ties? Yes. IGKT, yeah. is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, IGKT is a quick way to do it, yeah. <laughs> What's your interest, Barry? Are you industrial or...? I like everything knotting, everything art and craft that carries knots with it. I spent 30 years in the shipping industry, so I've got a little bit of a feel for it. Raymond invited me up here to show off my uh, knot boards. I tied a knot a day for a year, obviously 365 knots, a lot of discipline. I was influenced by a lady in San Francisco, Wendy Chan. I wouldn't have known that there is 365 different knots. I've heard of, I think you'll learn a few in Scouts. 365, that's a bit uh, mind-boggling. Well, there's, uh, you know, knots have been around for a long time. There's been a lot of people tie them, lots of different cultures tie them. Obviously, in the industry now, you'd probably need six or seven would see you out, including the splicing. But as you see here, we've gone to wire now, braiding and God knows what. And Raymond's taken that to a whole new level. I used to hand splice wire rope in the old days, so I sort of appreciate what's involved. 
to set out to tie us around on 65 knots when I knew 40, I guess, in my head when I started. <laughs> so where do you find you have a book beside you, did you? Or? Well, we've got the Bible called the Ashley Book of Knots. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> the Ashley Book of Knots, yeah, that's, go on. <laughs> that's the Bible of, of knot tying. It's got thousands of knots in it, so we only touch the surface. What I used to do is I'd drop the book open and say to myself, right, I'll do that one today. Some days you'd drop the book open and it'd be a nice little simple one that you knew. Other days you'd, you'd pick up the Pan Chang or the Chinese knots and uh, God knows what. Uh, are these all decorative knots or are they used for lifting stuff and tying stuff, you know? On the board there's predominantly a uh, decorative feature. You don't name them. The idea for my boards and why I went about it was to uh, get people to look at them and say, hey, I like that or I don't like that or, gee, I understand how that one was done. I'll go home and try that one. Artists and craftsmen, jewellers and people like that come along and uh, it's been on show in the National Wool Museum in Geelong. They, they okay. help sponsor it on show in a little gallery down in Geelong. Great Ocean Arts, just a new little gallery. He's had them down there storing them for me, actually, but he, he had a lot of interest in them. Now, Barry, this uh, your Doreen. wife, Doreen. Doreen, are you interested in knots at all, or is it just, um, does he go out the shed and do this and you no, no, get I on with life? I am interested in knots, but I don't do them as such as Barry does. Mm. I do lace work, which is a form of knotting, I guess, bobbin lace work. Uh, I also tie knots of other sort. She's a marriage settlement, so she's <laughs> been tying knots uh, of a different description. <laughs> Because I would have thought that this decorative knot tying business came from traditionally tying up boats at, uh, at wharves and stuff, so from the industrial side of things, but that's not the case, is it? No, they've been tying knots, I guess. I wonder how they built the pyramids. They must have used some material to tow some of those rocks into place. We've tethered animals right through history. And if you look back in the old art world, there's, there's plenty of decorative stuff people used to adorn themselves with. You know, gold, silver, the Celtic world. So it's been around a lot longer than boating and shipping as we, as we think it is. I guess modern day, we've got this wonderful world now called Paracord, which people are making all these sorts of little items that decorate themselves. And Paracord's just a popular, it's a new thing. Young ones have taken a bit of a shine to it, which is good. Our whole job is to try and, the whole group here is to try and uh, encourage people to tie knots, keep the old skills alive if we can. That's going to be hard in the future, I guess, but the uh, the YouTube and all these other people... We can tie virtual knots, Barry. Yeah, they can tie virtual knots. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit self-indulgent. You uh, you get involved in it and you, you'll follow a, a sequence of knots. I currently play with the Bao Treasure Knot, an old... Uh, Asian knot. I spent 11 hours trying to get, get it right one day, in one day, and got, I, I made my knot for the day, that day, in 11 hours. Other days would take me a minute and a half. People are amazed at you, Barry. Keep talking. <laughs> I can't keep talking. My greatest novel is I also belong to a group called Impossi Bottles. We put things in bottles that don't belong in there, uh, through the neck of the bottle. I've got right. Ruby's Cubes in bottles, I've got knots in bottles, you know, perfume bottles with a very small gap. Like they put chips in bottles in the old days. So uh, nodding's out there for yeah. me. Barry, you're a busy boy. It's nice to meet you. Your football team's doing well. Uh, Doreen, you too. Lovely to meet you both. Okay. Thanks, thanks Macca. G'day, this is Macca. Um, I'm, I'm calling from Sydney at the moment. Um, thought that you know that the World International, well, of course, World International, um, Robotics Championship's on at the moment. The water? Robotics Championship, the oh. world titles. All right, tell me about What's your name? My name's Hayden. Yep, uh, and how do you know about this, Hayden? Um, I was captain of robotics back in 03 in high school uh-huh. when we started Robotics Club, and um, I've been volunteering at the, at the Nationals ever since, and um, my old school in, um, back in Brisbane just won the world title in lightweight soccer. <laughs> what's it, what sort of soccer is it? 
um, well, robotic soccer, two aside on a on a uh, two meter by meter and a half, whatever whatever the dimensions of a, soccer, of a miniature soccer field are, about two meters long, um, and they play two aside a little ball in its infrared light, and um, our team um, beat the German team, which is we are the European champions, and we beat them eighteen nil. Now, Hayden, tell me, where is the, the robotics championship is on in Sydney at the moment? Is that right? Uh, yeah, the convention centre. Uh-huh. And where are you from, Hayden? I am uh, well, grew up in Brisbane and now I live in Melbourne and I've come to Sydney for the championships. And what was it, do you think, that got you interested in robotics? Uh, in did You said uh, in the 80s, was that right? Uh, no, um, no, no. Uh, my three was when the school started. Uh-huh. Um, but I've been, I've been into robotics and technology... Um, Oh, back since before Windows 3.11, when I was I learned to learned to code when I was ten. So yeah, it's been it's I've always been into, into IT. <laughs> well, you're a di- you're on a different planet to uh, most of us, Hayden. I'd say. Um, <laughs> I think I'm on Earth still. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, I'm not. I know what a, you mean. I, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's um yes. When you learn to code at the age of ten, did you say? Yeah, it's just like learning a foreign language, although it's. Much more finicky. <laughs> yes, I'll bet. So, what uh, what can you see at the uh, robotics championships? Um, at the they're on t- today, are they? Yes, today is the last day of competition. Mm. They've got some of what they call super teams, which are five aside, and they've got a few um, humanoids as well, which are done by done, done by university level. What's a um, what's a, tell me, what's a humanoid? Well, it looks, it's um, androids. I have. A bit like a miniature version of C-3PO from Star Wars, but well, not, quite, not quite as intelligent. <laughs> and they actually have a little miniature soccer ball on a, on a field that's, I don't know, three metres long, four metres long, and they, they play two or three a side and they run about and try to score goals. Now, Hayden, tell me this, uh, as I asked before, yep. what is it do you think about robotics that in, engages you? Is it is it just coding and uh, the technical well, things and all that and mathematics, or is there something? Does it go beyond that to some sort of um, cultural, spiritual plane for you? I know, but fun for starters, mm. and it, um, it feels like you're actually contributing to something because um, by 2050, this group, this international group, want to have a humanoid team in the World Cup. Against humans, the, which which particular World Cup are you talking about? The so- right, right, soccer, football, soccer World Cup. Yes, right. right. There's lots of World Cups. They, want, yeah. they expect to have a team in the soccer by 2050 in the soccer World Cup against the, against other real human teams. <laughs> but who would they be representing? Because the the World Cups, you know, usually England and Uruguay and they, Paraguay and who would, who would the robotics be uh, representing, do you reckon? They'd uh, be representing the International Coalition of Universities, I assume. <laughs> Just, it'd be, they, wouldn't be, they wouldn't be eligible to win, obviously, but, they'd, but, it would be, but it would be something to showcase how far we've come since, oh, I don't know, a few years ago, um, one, of my, one of the teams um, lost, the soccer, lost one of the robotics soccer matches 3-1. Um, to one, They scored all four goals. Yeah, it's they three own goals, and one of their one actual goal. They've improved since then, obviously. Um, I'd love you to teach me about coding one day, uh, Hayden. Um, that's just one of the many things that I uh, that's uh, all Greek to me, if you know what I mean. I'm better at Greek than I am at uh, coding, but um, yeah, other way around here. <laughs> Hayden, I'd like to meet you sometime. Um, you live in Brisbane, is that right? Or you live no, in I... no, you live in Melbourne. Yeah, I live in Melbourne. 
And how's your winter been in Melbourne, Hayden? Cold. Cold? More than anything else. Yeah. I still have the Brisbane climate in my, in my body, if that makes sense. So Melbourne winters are a bit troublesome. Hayden, lovely to talk to you, mate. Keep in touch. Have a good one. Good on you, Bye. mate. G'day, Maker. It's Pam. I'm calling in from Henley. How are you going? Oh, Henley on Thames. Yes, Pam, I'm good. Henley Tell... on Thames, indeed. Uh, <laughs> this this is the uh, Peace Regatta, uh, 2019 indeed. style. We have had a ball. It's just going so well. Look, the Australian Defence Force crew have done us proud. They really are just, they're so wonderful. The, um... The uh, bow seat, and um, forgive me, I've forgotten the name. I think it's Liz something, and I've forgotten. Is that terrible? I, I had a lovely chat to her today. She was the first woman in bow seat across the line of a, of a mixed crew in any Henley race ever in history. Wow. And uh, because of the Australian Defence Force, all the Defence Force teams in the um, King's Cup uh, centenary are all mixed um, gender, so there's two to three... Uh, women as well as uh, men in the crew. And, look, they've it, it, done so well. Unfortunately, today they were pipped in the semi-final by the Germans. So tomorrow it's the Germans versus the Americans in the final. <clears throat> it, it's absolutely on fire here. It's so, it's so, you can hear my voice. It's a bit dodgy. I have spoken to so many people on the banks today. We've had a ball, honestly. Oh, uh, yeah, we should have been. Wish you were here. Yeah, I sh- wish you were here. <laughs> I- Oh, we should have been there, Pam. I should be everywhere. Um, it's just I, I wish you could just turn up, and then everything would be set up there for you, and it'd be no drama. But um, yeah, but P- Pammy, t- this is uh, for people who don't know. This is um, the sort of centenary of the King's Cup, which sort of started in 1919 when soldiers returning from Europe were sort of bivouacking in in London before they were being expatriated back to where they came from, whether it was New Zealand or Australia or whatever, or Canada, and and they had a rowing competition and there was a defence force teams and there was, I think there was a German, no French team, I don't think, but anyway. um, No, you know, actually not in that particular um, season, I think possibly, and of course the Germans weren't there at that stage because, you know, the Germans were the defeated force. Of course. They are here for this and the Dutch are here as well. But, um, look, actually, you'll be pleased to know, I was introduced to a chap today, I was just saying, I was actually having a chat to some of the um, ADF crew, and they've got the most wonderful Australian blazers. You know, I was having a chat to some of the crew, and I was introduced um, by one of the Rowing Australia, um, the Rowing Australia head of media and comms, and she said, oh, oh Pam, can I introduce you to Matter? <laughs> it's your namesakes here. Right. And she's a Matter. And I saw it lovely to meet you back then. I saw he had a, an Air Force insignia on, on his um, lapel. And I said, oh, are you like the um, Air Force uh, military attaché here? He said, and then Lucy um, Benjamin said to me, oh, actually, I'll probably should give you his appropriate title. He's an Air Marshal of <laughs> the Australian Air Force. So, wow. <laughs> but he was introduced as Macca. So yeah. I think that's very Australian, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> so, so, Pam, is, is the finals on tomorrow? Is it? Is that the the whole deal? Finals are on tomorrow between um, uh, finals are tomorrow between uh, Germany, Germany and, and America and America, and that'll be the final race of the entire Henley on uh, Thames Regatta or the Henley Royal Henley Regatta. It's but pl- um, as well as that, we've got um, uh, three other Australian crews who are racing in finals day. Uh, Scotch College from Melbourne. Um, they won it. To, they won the uh, schoolboys race two years ago, and they have a different crew back here again this year. 
and it's Scotch versus Eton tomorrow, so it'll be very exciting. A great place to um, be in, in London at the moment. You've got uh, Wimbledon on and you've got uh, this on. It's uh, an exciting time in the old town tonight, I'd say. It is all happening. I tell you, and the cricket, of course. Yeah, and the cricket, and yeah. It's just, it's just amazing. It's just everything's happening in, in the UK, but... Um, uh, look, I've, I have to tell you another lovely story. I met, I've just you meet so many people, and everyone's happy to chat. But I met this lovely chap, uh, an English chap who lives in Cambridge. He's um, the nephew of the late Trevor Jenkinson, who used to be the town clerk of Alice Springs. And um, <coughs> this chap is very lovely, very English, you know. But his um, uncle came out to Australia, you know, probably like a 10-pound pom in the 50s, like mm. a lot of English people. He ended up, as I said, Town Clark and Alice Springs. He's got, talking about Henley and all the traditions surrounding Henley, he said he's got this amazing photo of his uncle standing dressed as King Neptune, <laughs> presiding over the Henley on Todd Regatta. There you go. The, in Alice With Springs. With all the beer cans and whatever. Just fabulous. And, and, you know, you just meet so many different people have got fabulous stories about Australia and um, it's a lot of Australians here, which is just wonderful. Um, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's a great place to come to. I'll say, Pam, you sound like you've been talking yourself, uh, well, horse, I'd say. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I can't tell you how much fun we've had and, and I think everyone does. That's why they kept coming back year on year. It's just... It is, as I said to you, when I first spoke to you um, uh, about a year ago, I said it's like the Melbourne Cup on steroids. <laughs> you know, everyone's just having so much fun, and just but everyone's in a really happy mood and um, just chats and tells their story and wants to know where you're from and uh, why you, what brings you to Henley, and, and everyone's got a story. It's wonderful. That's why you love it so much, Rebecca. Stop saying that. Pam, great to talk to you. <laughs> Fabulous to talk to you too, man. You can you can come back and uh, we'll we'll meet you at the Henley on Todd, eh? That's in August, isn't it? Sometime? Oh, no, that'd be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right, Pam. Good on you. Speak soon. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for your Bye. call. Bye. <whistles> I met this bloke the other day. I've been on the road. Ken here. Come and meet him. I'm beside the New England Highway. Where else would you be and where else would you see a hay truck? What's your name? Ken. How are you, Kenny? Good. Big load of hay. Where are you from? Where are you going? Uh, down from Melbourne or Victoria, going up to Walcher. Walker, right. Yeah. It's a big load. You've got a lot of hay here. Yeah, there's about 64 bales. You do this run all the time, do you? Or? No, I'm sort of just filling in for Dale Blake. It's his time to have days off. All right. So I get to come up and do his trip, so yeah. And there's still, this has been going on forever now, it seems, doesn't it? Running hay all over the place. It does. It does. It goes here, there and everywhere, I think. The bloke rang me um, a year ago and he says, oh, the hay trucks are touching one another out here, Macca, and but nothing <laughs> seems to have changed. Nah, I think, um, like, for, I've been doing it for the last month and a half. Leaving Melbourne to come up here, it's like you leave the cold to come up to the sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Very dry. Yeah, I'll say. So this is going to Walker, um, and where's it from, do you know? Uh, Bridgewater from down there. Thankfully, they've had a bit of rain down there, have they, and still got a bit of hay? Plenty of rain. Plenty yeah. of rain. We had heaps down there the other weekend. So how long have you been on the road? 38 years. I mean, you live in Melbourne, do you? Or? Yes. I suppose it's nice to get out and get on the road, and I always like to get out and get on the road. It is. It's like your space. It's your time. It's You get away from all the other shit. And... <laughs> well, you're not far from Walker, so then what, you turn around and go back, or do you get another load, or what? No, I'll turn, I'll turn around and I'll go home, 
truck will be serviced, trails will be serviced, and then I'll be back next week. Well, you're doing a good job, mate, keeping the keeping the nation running. That's the that's the whole deal, isn't it? You stopped to what? Kick the tyres and see what's happening. Yeah, kick the tyres, put some fuel in. And it's better to have fuel and run out of fuel. You know how it is. Oh yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Nothing more embarrassing when you're on the side of the road. I run out of fuel. <laughs> Kenny, good on you. Um, keep up the good work, mate. Yep, no worries. Thanks very much. Been a pleasure. Good day, this is Macca. Good morning, Macca. It's George speaking from Wagen, Western Australia. What are you up to, George? Have you ever heard of Wagen? I've been to Wagen many yeah, times. Yeah, oh, you know, five, five or six times. I have, yes, well, George. I must say, I've never heard of Wagen, but it turned out there's a very nice doctor here. Uh, who was Australian GP of the Year, apparently, Peter Van Marzavine. Mm. And Peter was uh, getting a well-deserved holiday because it's a single doctor town here. So I'm looking after his patients while he's gone for two weeks to Italy. <laughs> As you do. Well, that's, yeah, the country GP. Well, every GP needs a break. I think it's a tough gig being a GP. There's a lot of tough gigs, but that's another one, uh, being a GP and, and talking to people all day about their aches and pains and things like that. Uh, so you're a doctor, George. That's right. Yeah, I'm a city slicker doctor. I actually usually work in Sydney, but uh, I've taken six months off to do the lap, and uh, I found myself in West Australia halfway around. Uh-huh. And you're doing a uh, couple of weeks for doc- uh, Dr... Yeah. What's his name? Dr. Peter. Dr. Dr. Peter, they yeah. all call him. And, um, yeah, it's interesting looking at uh, the names as they come in on the, on the computer. Uh, occupation, farmer. Occupation, farmer. Occupation, farmer. Occupation, teacher. <laughs> Farmer, farmer, teacher, teacher. That's about uh, the main thing of it. And that, well, that's a great experience for you too, I'd say. Um, completely different. I'm, I'm loving it, though. Uh, I must say it's a bit nerve-wracking knowing that uh, if there is a big problem, I don't have a huge hospital or some uh, very handy specialists literally at arm's length, though there is a town called Narragin. Yep, down uh, the road. 30 minutes uh, away, and they do have a hospital, but it's manned by GPs, so if you've really got a nasty one, uh, you call the air ambulance. Yeah, um, and uh, the other thing, I suppose, Dr. George, you, you put you in the position where, where many doctors were in many years ago. I, was, I remember reading about a doctor in Narandra. Um, they did a lot of, you know, they often did an appendix, um, tracheotomies, because they had to do them, I suppose. So not that you have to do that, but it's, it's interesting to contemplate those sort of things, isn't it? I feel very sorry for any patient who needed me to do an appendectomy <laughs> at this stage of my career. Because as I say, I've always referred such things. Yeah. But I, I do have uh, um, a response to Dr. Steve, who was talking about how to revitalise a country town. He, he left out the main thing, particularly here in Australia. You need a big something. Yes. And in Wagen, there is a big ram. That's right, because they have the Wagen Woolarama every year, don't they? Or is it every two yeah. years? I'm not sure. Right. I, I should know. I'm learning about the, uh, the local culture. And the uh, other piece of advice I have for anybody driving around Australia in a motorhome, make sure you've got a heater. Why, why is that, Dr. George? Well, it's 77 degrees outside at the moment, and I'm parked at the end of what looks like a suburban street and looking out over a nice field of sheep. But it's bloody cold. <laughs> well, and you're just, this is just a, a little um, blip in your, um, in your um, trip around Australia. I've reached a stage of my career where I, I qualify as a grey nomad, so. Uh, we're taking six months off, the wife and I, and she's actually back in Sydney at the moment, uh, making sure the kids are behaving themselves and they haven't wrecked the house. Uh-huh. And, and I'm here on my own uh, looking after the patients in wage and having a ball. Good on you, Dr. George. You keep in touch with us, okay? All right, nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Bye. Yeah.
I mentioned that uh, in Tamworth this weekend, uh, certainly at uh, at West's Leagues, uh, there's a knot-tying exhibition on. And look, the most fascinating stuff, the most fascinating stuff. I uh, I was up there uh, earlier in the week talking to people on the road and and I met uh, Peter Gillespie. Come and come and meet Peter Gillespie. Hello. I'm in Moomby. I'm talking to Peter Gillespie. How are you, Peter? I'm very well, thanks, Ian. Peter, apparently you rang us last year. I rang you, actually, from a mate of mine's place up in Shanghai. At We've all got friends in Shanghai, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and you were very interested about what was going on in Shanghai, and you weren't so interested in our bus trip. <laughs> and I invited you. I said, when we get back and we bring the bus back to Australia, mm. you better come and do one of, um, one of your morning programs from the bus. And that was when we were setting off to do the, uh, the Mongol rally. All right. I and, my, I and my two sons and a couple of others, we raised some, we did pretty well. We raised a bit of dough for prostate cancer and Cool Earth, which was the charity. And we took our double-decker bus from London right across to the east of Russia. And the rally finished in Ulan Ude in Russia. And uh, we were the crazy Aussies with the bus. And there was a few other Aussie guys that... You know, got into a bit of trouble along the way and did some interesting things. But the whole rally was a great success. Great experience. Oh, look, it was amazing. We got an Instagram page, which is, um, and we we call ourselves Team Columbus because, um, you know, that suited the the team. We joined up and we're a bit odd because we had a bus and we're Aussie and Mm -hmm. everybody was was pretty taken with it. And it was great fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. So, Peter, what are you doing here at the the Guild of Knot Tyres and up here at Andromeda? Well, I'm I'm interested. I'm a member of the Guild of Knot Tyres, and mm. it's it's interesting. And and I just appreciate all of this work that these guys do. Some of the flat work, some of the knotting work, is amazing. You wait till you see at the um, down at the club when they the demonstration. Some of that work that Barry Smith's done. I mean, he's just a genius. He's a merchant seaman, and some of the stuff is just the dedication and the application to fine hand work and creativity it's it's terrific i'm in awe of those sort of people i'm in awe of the the ladies who sit on the wharf at the isle of pines and plait some little straw hats <laughs> and that's the same sort of thing i suppose in in you know minutiae oh, well, well it is it's quite incredible and you know these guys will, will look at something in detail and then they'll spot a, a you know a mistake or a, a or a a strand that's out of place and they'll go back because they're obsessed about the perfection associated with it and the achievement of it. And knotting is, is I'm going to use a bit of a pun, is knotting is what binds it everything together. And it, look, it's a lot of fun and uh, it's very enjoyable. And, you know, idle hands are the work of the devil. So keep your hands busy and all that sort of stuff. It's good. Peter, what do you do or what have you done? Uh, we make uh, inclined lifts and cable cars for helping people get from the top of their property down to the water and that sort of thing so we've got a business in sydney so so you'd be interested in slings and things like that or hoisting cables cable movement and all and the engineering associated with that that's all pretty interesting stuff yeah uh, and that's really about knots too isn't it in, in lots of ways strands together wound together uh, strands together cable performance how things are connected one to the other and a bit of engineering that goes with it that's all all interesting yeah mm. and where do you live Pete? you live in sydney no, yeah northern beach of sydney yeah, yeah. so when yeah. are you going to shanghai again oh, i was there last week uh, i'll probably go back there a couple of months again and what see for work it. we have a couple of people work for us up there making some some parts of our equipment and um we've got a couple of other little things under development so uh, i'm always um, uh, intrigued about 
China, a bit in awe of it really. What's Shanghai like um, oh, look, last week? It's intense. It's it's fantastic. It's it's the uh, the weather's good now, so everybody's out and about, and um, yeah, it's it's good. You want to get up and have a bit of a look. And there's a lot of Aussies there. The whole expat community is pretty tight, so there's a lot of functions, a lot of you know Aussie bars and you know barbecues. Barbecues, a lot of good barbecues, yeah. <laughs> you can go to the shed in Shanghai and catch uh, up with a few really... of the boys there. <laughs> there you go. All yeah, right. no, it is really good. Well, give us a call sometime again when you're up there, Pete. Okay. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, eh? Thanks. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. It's Annie, your running correspondent. <laughs> I'm running the Gold Coast Marathon right now. Oh, uh, that's good on you. Uh, yeah, I knew, I knew that was on. How's it going? How long have you been uh, running? I've been running now for um, just on an hour, and I'm just coming up to the 10-kilometre mark. And how are you travelling? All right? You sound I'm all right? I'm travelling good, but I've been frustrated because I've had a lot of problems with the technology getting through to you this morning. Oh, there you go. Is there a lot of people in, in, in the uh, race, uh, Anne? I reckon there's uh, about 7,000. And where does that go to and from on it the Gold Coast? It starts Southport. Mm-hmm. Runs up the coast to Burley Heads. You loop around at Burley Heads, and then come back, um, same basically same way, and run up to the other beach right up the top beyond uh, the top of the coast, and then you come back to Southport where you started. Uh, Anne, it's lovely to talk to you, ladies and gentlemen. Anne's about 70, uh, 70 odd, seventy three, and she's running these things. You've been training every day for this. This is what forty k's, forty two k's. 42Ks, Macca. Wow. And this will take you, what, five hours, roughly? Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. And it's a good yep. day for running up there? Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, we've got, we got doused with a shower of rain at the start. And foolishly, I'd left my poncho in the tent thinking I wouldn't need it. So I got a nice shower at the start. But I've dried out pretty much. And, and uh, you're gone. Sunny. Sunny now. Surf is beautiful. Beach is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. It's not... It's, very comfortable, much better than London in that sense. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's good. Very nice atmosphere. And, Anne, the people, the people that are running with you, where do you sit? I mean, there's the, uh, the triers up the front. Um, wh- where would you sit in the pantheon of the marathon? Halfway in the middle or towards the back or what? The back. Hmm? Best party to be had at the back, Macca. <laughs> <laughs> it's like like in like it's at school. It's always best to sit up the back. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. I always did that in the classroom. Naughty kids up the back. Yeah, exactly. Under the desk when the teacher came in. Yeah, eating, yeah. E- eating lollies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. So uh, you'll be finished. What about lunchtime? I suppose. Yep, yep. Hoping to get in about five hours, fifteen minutes. Well, you're a, you know, it's a legend, and I've just been I've just been thinking about the last you know because. Yeah, I've just been thinking the last, you know, a couple of months, I suppose, six months about getting fit. But yeah, I never, I never, you know, never make the effort, Anne. But I'll have to. I'll have to start running or swimming or doing something or pedalling a bike or something. Yeah, it's a good idea, Macca. As you get older, it's probably the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah, I'd say. I'd yep, s- yep. I'll just have to take ins- right. inspiration from you, Anne. Well, it's great fun, Macca. And what's your, what's your next uh, uh, goal? What are you doing next after this? Well, City to Surf is the next big goal race. All oh, right, that's and right. And then uh, I'm going to try, if my body holds up all right this time, I booked into Melbourne Marathon. 
in October. All right. Okay. Well, good on you. Good on you. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk again soon. You're our running correspondent. Good on you, Anne. Got to fly. Nice to talk. <laughs> Love to be able to talk to you, Macca. Good on you. Hello, Macca. Yes. It's um, Heather Bullen here. Oh, Heather, ladies and gentlemen, Heather, you've written, you've just uh, written a book, Heather, haven't you? Called Nursing in the Desert. Um, and I have done. Yeah. yeah you, look, you better tell. I, I know about it. You better tell people about the book and where you are and what you're doing. Um, at uh, Mari at the moment, and we don't have a. We've got a camper on the back of our vehicle, <laughs> um, and we do use camp kitchens because that's where you meet people and hear incredible stories. And, and you, they're fabulous. And you, so yeah, yes, we do still use them. Exactly, and you. Yes, and, but that's not what you you rang about. You're you're heading to where? I'm heading to Udnadada with my book, which was a master's thesis, and I've turned it into a book. It's about the influenza pandemic at Udnadada in 1919, part of the world pandemic that killed between 50 and 100 million people back in at the end of the First World War, and it arrived in Australia at the end of 1918, but it didn't arrive in Udnadatta until um, the end of May 1919. So right at this time, they would have been looking after patients with influenza. And by this stage, it had arrived in the Aboriginal community of Udnadatta and the Aboriginal people were looked after in a big tent out in the desert. And the book cover is shows that tent. Um, and we're travelling up to Udnadatta. We've been up and we've come back down. We're going back to see them on the 11th um, at 2 o'clock to present the history to the community. And the book is dedicated to the people of Udnadatta because they looked after my grandparents for three years as my grandparents looked after them during the pandemic. It's uh, it's an amazing, it's a lovely book, uh, an amazing book. I'm talking to Heather Ann Bullen and the book's called Nursing in the Desert. Udnadatta, Australia, 1919, and I just saw a headline yesterday in one of the uh, local papers that just talked about uh, the flu mutating, and we had um, uh, Dr. Robert in here uh, the other day. We were talking about flu and getting needles and all that sort of stuff, and I just think back to that Spanish, the time of the Spanish flu, soldiers coming back from Europe, carrying the... the um, the virus with them and um, the effect it must have had around the world and especially in small communities I mean, like Udnadatta, there'd be other little communities where where all of a sudden this strange thing sort of turned up, Heather, and, and caused chaos, really, didn't it? It did. And for the people of Udnadatta, there was care, but for a lot of other communities that were isolated, there was no care available, and especially for the Aboriginal people and Indigenous people across the world. So it made a huge difference to communities everywhere, but for the Aboriginal people of this area, it, it, apparently a lot of the elders of the of a couple of the um, language groups died out, and so other language groups hold some of their memories now. Um, but they're still a very strong community, so they look after those memories. So this started with but you is as a thesis um, for your um, yes. PhD and, and turned into a book. It's uh, a lovely for my, book. Yep. Yeah, for my master's, yeah, my for master's thesis. Yeah. Lovely photos, black and white photos of, of well, a, a time long gone, but um, it's amazing to think about it, isn't it? And I mean, I just think about the flu because uh, I've had two people ring up here this morning and they've had the flu and, and so people say, well, this is a pretty bad flu, this one that's uh, around at the moment, but it probably pales into insignificance when you when you talk about the effect of the um, 
the Spanish flu, as they called it, uh, around the world in 1919, 1920, I think, and went to 21 in some places, didn't it? Yes, yes. Um, it was main, Most of it was gone by 1920, but it actually hung around until 1933. So, but it was in, um, wasn't as significant by then. But it, um, the and, reason that travelled so far was because of the war. Because yeah. the, um, it started in one of the camps in Funston in America with the recruits and then travelled through America. And then as America joined the war, they took it out. The soldiers took it out to the rest of the world. And because it was war, no one advertised it or, or spoke about the deaths. So there was, no, there was no quarantine to the first wave of it. And then by the time it mutated, it was too late. It was in Alaska and in little islands in the Pacific and throughout the whole world. And you're taking this book back up to Udnadatta um, to present to the people yes. and, and the history of, of what happened in 1919. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, uh, something like that hitting, hitting um, and as I say, not only little communities, as you said, but uh, other places that, that weren't in a, a nearly as good a position, if I can say that, that, that Udnadatta was. That at least there were some people there to do some caring, but... Um, I'm sure out yes. in the desert, Indigenous people just died where they were and it just uh, turned up and that was the end of it. Yeah, and some of the Aboriginal people were trying to get to some of the healing places, but because the influenza was so devastating, they weren't able to get there and then whole families died. And in some communities where no care was available, and sometimes it wasn't available because the, all the people were sick at one time, it, it, it was so contagious. Mm. and that had a really short incubation period. So within 24 hours, it could spread through the whole community. And then people sometimes died in that short time as well. So they, they were unable to care for each other. But um, in Nudnadatta they were, and in other places they did have carers. A lot of the carers also succumbed to the influenza. But up in Nudnadatta, um, my grandmother did get sick for a week, but then she was back um, caring for people, and up there they used um, natural medicines, herbal and other botanicals that um, have since, in my investigations, I found that they're now being used for superbugs and for cancers. So they were actually had some effect in helping the people to fight the influenza. They were anti-microbial, um, antiviral, antibacterial, and so although they hadn't discovered antibiotics and antivirals, the Aboriginal people had been using them for thousands of years appropriately. So some of the, the medications they were using, the medicines they were using were Indigenous medications and different from what they were using in other countries. Heather, it's a lovely addition to our knowledge of uh, our, our wonderful country, especially in NADOC week, which starts today. Um, uh, you'll have a lovely time in Udnadatta and lovely to talk to you, Heather Ann. The book's called Nursing in the Desert, Udnadatta, Australia, 1919. Heather Ann, lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Good on you. Thank you, Macca. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.